Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm over in the main studio today because we're having some technical work and some upgrades done on our Studio B for the traditional Morning Glory message. But I'm happy still to be here with you today. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles and meet me in Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to talk today about a fun subject. It's called Rule Your World. And while I say fun, it is at the same time demanding, but it's going to be a very, very enjoyable thing for you to experience. Praise God. Again, Proverbs chapter 6, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and unveiling of the truths of your word. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the light being turned on by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are students of your word, knowing your word, and consuming your word as our spiritual food. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, Amen. Now look at verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. There's a lot of animals that God has created of course, all of the animals God created, but it's fascinating that the Lord did not say, you know, go to the leopard or go to the ox, although these animals are mentioned in scripture. And it certainly doesn't say go to the sloth, you sluggard. I have to admit, I do like sloths. I don't know if you, if you can capture uh, an image or a picture of love conveyed from a mother animal to a child animal more than that of a mother moth, a sloth holding its little child. The smile, mm -mm. I know they're super slow. <laughs> and they're not the subject of this uh, example. But all of the animals speak something special in their own way. But here we are instructed, of course, not to look at the sloth. That's not the object lesson that God is wanting to convey. But rather the ant. So go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So that we know the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Therefore, the focused subject, again, would be wisdom in the sense that we want to become wise. Now, this is what's amazing about the ant. And I pray that this same quality trait will be manifested in your life from this day forward. Verse 7, which having no captain overseer or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber? O sluggard. When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler. Now, of course, none of us uh, would want anything to do with poverty. It's always pictured in scripture as something bad. It is a product of the curse it is a result of sin entering into the earth. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Praise the Lord. The amazing thing about ants is that although they have no overseer or ruler, they don't need anybody to tell them what to do. They're going to be getting it after they're going to be getting after things. Anyhow, they don't need somebody to stand there and watch them and drive them and compel them to work. They already know what to do. So, Without an overseer or ruler, yet they are still able to secure their future by what? By embracing their responsibility. Now, we live in interesting times. Uh, we have seen the effects of the COVID. We have seen certain governments, states, or areas where you have individuals that they get a little bit of control. They get on a power trip, and they go crazy. And the next thing you know, they are... They are locking people down, and really it doesn't, uh, it, now it's done in the name of COVID, but oftentimes it's done on a, on a power trip. They've never experienced power like that, so they love to lock people up, lock people down, and we see that particularly uh, being severely done in Australia. But let me say this, in, in light of the ant, in the light of ruling your world, that even with severe lockdowns, don't let lockdowns stop you from producing. Have you noticed that the ants aren't really aware of 
COVID lockdown. <laughs> Last time I saw them on the ground, just about two days ago, they still seem very, very active and busy to me. Think just for a moment about the Apostle Paul. And what did he do when he was, we could also say, locked down, or basically he was put in prison? Well, during his forced lockdown, that's what it was. During that time, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Wow. So that you could say, in many ways, Paul was like an ant, even during locked down. Uh, he still was extremely productive and secured his future by embracing his responsibility. Wow. And what a destiny that he uh, fulfilled and he accomplished it. And we are reaping those benefits today. Let's think about another man just for a moment by the name of John Bunyan. I'm sure many of you have heard of him, but what a lot of people don't know about the famous book that he wrote is that John Bunyan was put in prison for 12 years under a technicality or basically a trumped up false charge that he was not conducting the church service properly or in proper conformity, conformity to uh, all the rules and regulations of the church of England. So basically some of the leaders got jealous of him, got upset at him, didn't like him and caught him on a technicality and threw him in prison because he didn't do it just right. <laughs> so he's in prison for 12 years. And uh, during the 12 years or during his lockdown moment, that's when he wrote the world famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. Still today, it is the second best selling book of all time behind the Bible. Now, the Bible, uh, don't think of it as just the best-selling book of all time. The Bible is continually the best-selling book every single year. So it's, it's not like it had a one-time big moment. No, the, the Bible is always the top-selling book in the world, always. And Pilgrim's Progress is number two on that list. Now, there have been books put out by dictators. Uh, there's a Chinese book put out by one of their leaders that was put out in mass, but nobody's buying it. They're, they're being forced to accept it and receive it because it's a government mandate. Print the book, put it out. But as far as people wanting to read something and they're still buying it, uh, the Bible's number one and Pilgrim's Progress is still number two. Think about that, that this man during lockdown was like an ant and he was still productive. That's not the only book he wrote. He had quite a few famous other books, but this is the one he became most well known for. And although that book, Pilgrim's Progress, was written over, well, right now, 330 years ago, people are still reading it, people are still studying it, and can you believe this? People are still buying it. Even if you can get the download for free, which you can on many app stores, people still want to buy it. They want to have their own special copy of it. So we can't just sit back and say, well, we can't do anything, we're locked down. No, even if you are locked down uh, you, and you're in your own room, hey, you've got a laptop in your room. You've got, you've got something you can do. And so you have to be creative and you have to be like the ants. Praise the Lord, which having no overseer, no captain, no ruler, uh, they're, they're going to start making things happen anyhow, regardless of what the situation might be. Now, someone once said, you are not a failure until you look for someone to blame. Isn't that true? Because today it has become extremely popular and it has become now politically correct to now blame others. <laughs> if something uh, didn't work out, it's, it's always somebody else's fault, right? And we see that from the top of our government all the way down to uh, smaller uh, areas of administration and governance. My friends, we're going to have to change that, but we change it primarily within our own lives. And anytime there's a failure or we've blown it or we've missed it, we need to own up to that and we need to accept that responsibility and make corrections so that we can prevent that from happening again. And even, even if a person makes a big blunder, and they don't admit it. Matter of fact, they may even double down and say, no, we did everything right. What's going to happen is that even your most loyal followers, they'll begin to say, 
you know what? Even we can see through that. Even if we're on that person's side or even if we belong to that political party, we can see that that was an absolute mess. And yes, we're going to try to lie to get out of it. But you know what? That doesn't fix the situation. That's, that's just going to actually make it worse. So we need to always accept our responsibility. Think, my friends, just for a moment about certain nations that are labeled by the UN uh, and in these other world organizations. These certain nations are labeled as being undeveloped nations. They used to be called third world nations. Okay, now they're trying to use different term terminology, and they just they call them undeveloped nations. But you have to ask yourself, why is that nation undeveloped? Let me tell you why. It's because the people are undeveloped. Have you ever stopped to think about that? That if you develop the people, you do what? You're going to end up developing the nation. Mm -hmm. This is very, very important because we need to be aware of the present day. We need to look to the future and the way things were done in the past. It could be fading out. It could be technology that's being surpassed, and we need to be people that are continually in a state of ongoing development with our minds, with our understandings. Praise the Lord. You know, in the county in which I live, uh, several well-known corporations have sprung out of this little county. We've had Bank of America start it here in this county in which I live. We also have Lowe's Home Improvement Store started in this county. If you ever came to visit my ministry, I could take you in a vehicle. I could drive you about seven minutes from here. I could show you the first Lowe's Home Improvement Store that ever existed. And so uh, we also have other industries. We have the furniture industry. But see, things shift over the years. Lowe's primarily moved most of their operations to Mooresville. And then just recently they moved the main thrust of their operations to Charlotte. So they left behind a workforce of about 2000 employees here in the area. That's a blessing. But what we would call their high paying executive type jobs, you know, uh, technical jobs, those are all now in Charlotte or Mooresville. So what does the county do? You have to be able to adapt. What do you do when the county primarily in the early 1900s was known for what? Furniture production. This area of North Carolina and this county produced most of the furniture for the American population. They, they were shipping all over the world. But almost all of that, Probably 95% of that is gone, and the only memory of it is contained now in old pictures. And the Chinese have completely taken over that market. And so it's not like we can really go back to some of these things. We have to look forward. We have to make progress, or else we're going to fall into a state of undevelopment. Praise the Lord. Well, that means we have to develop ourselves and understand where can we go so that we move into prosperity Another example of a corporation, maybe not a corporation, but uh, more of something that's had a worldwide, uh, worldwide influence is NASCAR. Believe it or not, NASCAR originates out of this little county as well. That's because, unfortunately, this county was known for moonshine. Moonshine or the uh, production of illegal alcohol that sold the people individually with no taxes involved and all the illegal, illegal activities involved with that all came out of this county. And so those that were running moonshine would be chased by the law. So they got the idea, if we get a faster car, then the, then the police can't catch up with us and we can make these illegal deliveries. So the cars got faster and faster, and then the police cars get faster and faster. And then now the moonshiners are, are trying to outrun the policemen. And before you know it, some of these old moonshiners realize, hey, we can drive pretty good. And that turned into racing that turned into more and more modifications on engines and faster cars and bigger tires and more horsepower. And it developed into what we know as NASCAR that came out of here. Well, yes, Pastor Stephen, the, the county should get back to that. Well, there are some things actually being done right now where the state has released some money, several million dollars to the county to revive an element of that. But still, it's the past. It's the past. And, you know, we have to look towards the future. I was talking with one of our county commissioners. My wife and I were speaking with him just the other day 
uh, very brilliant man, and we were saying some of these things are in the past, and we can't rely on that to be successful in the future. It's already faded out, or it's, it's in a process of fading out. So we may always have a remnant of it, but we need to move into the new. And I told him, I said, I think this is the new. He said, he said, I've been thinking the same thing. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. So my friends, that's why we have to be like ants. We just can't sit around and say we're victims. It's somebody else's fault. <laughs> that's not going to fix the problem. Praise the Lord. We need to walk in the wisdom of God and have that hustle like the ants and move forward. I think of the uh, very brilliant New York rabbi. He passed away a few decades ago. His name was Menachem uh, Schneerson. He was a brilliant man. He, he could speak fluently seven languages. He could read 10 languages by the age of 17. He had already mastered the 5,700 Torah commentaries. He was a genius. He was like an Einstein, but a genius in the religious sense. And he was a brilliant man. And he, he immigrated from Russia eventually to America. And he was very active in uh, organizing, uh, you know, the Jewish people in primarily in New York, but also around the world because his voice was an influence uh, to the developing Israeli nation. And also many, many people in America that were well known, including John F. Kennedy, they wanted his advice because he was so wise. Why? Because the Torah, because God's word, my friends, even Billy Graham, he told the people in Japan, he said, even if you don't accept Jesus Christ, would you please study the book of Proverbs? It'll make you wise so that you make good decisions in life. And so just knowing the Torah, like he did, will help you have principles that will cause you to win and be a success in life. And one time, Rabbi Schneerson had a very um, uh, energetic Jewish businessman come to him and say, I have an idea. I'm going to start a business. And the business plan is I'm, I, I've got, I have invested and I have bought all of these old world maps from the medieval ages, from the 1600s. I've got maps that are, you know, 900 years old, and I'm going to open a business and I'm going to sell these exotic maps. And the rabbi didn't say anything. He just listened to the man talk. And so the man goes off and starts his business. He comes back six months later and he tells the rabbi, my business is a complete failure. And the rabbi said, well, I knew it was going to be a failure. He said, because nobody wants that old stuff. Everybody is moving towards more and more advanced technology. So he said, you're going in the wrong direction. And I knew your business would not be successful. And the young man said to the rabbi Schneerson, he said, well, how come you didn't tell me? And the rabbi without blinking an eye responded very quickly and said, because you didn't ask me. Woo! Woo! Glory to God. Mm-mm. Humility. Humility to walk in the wisdom of God and move forward and to also sharpen your mind with those who have sharp minds. Mm. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. You cannot sharpen iron with wood. You cannot hang around people who have no interest in the wisdom of God, who have no interest in wanting to succeed in life and have a lump of a log sharpen iron. What's going to happen is the iron is going to be made dull and the wood is going to be just, it's going to lose wood because it's rubbing up against iron and that's going to do away with the wood. My friends, if you want to be like the ant and you want to walk in wisdom, you're going to have to understand that only like minds of wisdom, like minds that are wanting to move forward can sharpen each other. You can't sharpen your mind by somebody who just, just wants to roll through life, do as little as possible. And just, you know, uh, is just content to let things play out the way they play out. No, 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 no. Iron sharpens iron. Okay. Wood cannot sharpen iron. So you have to be connecting with those that uh, are polishing continually and sharpening continually their mind. So you have that spark 
of creativity and also that transference of wisdom. Praise the Lord. Ants are productive. We must search for ways to enhance our productivity. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, we could, for example, teach people how to fish. And if we teach them how to fish, that is, that is the primary way that we get them out of that state where they're just constantly begging for fish. Hey, can you give me another fish? I appreciate you bought me one yesterday and gave me one of yours. Well, listen, I'm tired of giving you my fish. I'm going to give you a fishing pole because you need to get out there and work and start doing some fishing yourself. Pastor Stephen, you don't have any compassion. No, I have a lot of compassion. I actually have enough compassion to help them get out of that state of bondage. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Now, let me say this. Every upward change will always require an applied force of upward thrust. Gravity is all it takes for something to fall down. Going down, you don't need any help. Gravity is going to take care of that. But, my friends, an applied force of upward thrust is needed in order for us to go up. So, we must apply biblical-based forces to go upward and guarantee a change for things in our life for the better. Mm-mm. See my Bible? If this Bible was on the floor, and I wanted to take it from the floor and put it back up on the pulpit, okay, there's a process. There's the leaning over. There's the picking up. There's the engagement of certain muscles. And there is the placement of the Bible from down there up here. All we're doing today is we're looking at some of these upward forces that move us from a place of great potential into a place of actually walking and manifesting that potential. Mm-mm. We're identifying those upward forces today. And really one of the primary upward forces to achieve the things that you desire and what it is that you're wanting to do through the power of the Holy spirit one of these primary forces, my friends, is, ooh, I'm going to say it. It's the D word. Oh, Pastor Stephen, is that a bad word? Well, for some people, it is. It's the word discipline. Mm-hmm. Discipline. Please say it. Say discipline. Praise God. We must ask ourselves, what is discipline? This great upward force, this, this booster rocket that can lift us up into uh, not just dreaming, but seeing dreams manifest it. Discipline is doing what is required to get what is desired. I want to say that again. Discipline is doing what is required to get what is desired. It is doing what is demanded, not what is convenient. And that right there is the great challenge that we all face in moving towards our dreams and the fulfillment of those dreams is that discipline is doing what is demanded, not what is convenient. Most people, they're only wanting to do what's convenient. And I'm talking, when I say most people, I'm talking about most Christians. All they want to do is what's convenient, but we have to also do what is demanded. And that is going to require discipline. Discipline engages our full responsibility for every outcome that we experience in life. Now here's a quote from Dr. Frederick Casey Price, the pastor, former pastor of Crenshaw Christian Center out there in Los Angeles. Dr. Fred Price said, if you fail, it is your fault. And if you succeed, it is your choice. Now you all now listen to this statement that he's making and you have to also understand his audience and his congregation. When he started that church, he had many, many struggles, many things that he was working to overcome uh, the mentality of the peoples that he was speaking to bringing people out of poverty, bringing people out of, you know, wrong mindsets. And uh, Dr. Price as an African American man, ministering to his precious people and teaching them the word. It was changing the people's changing the way they're thinking instead of begging for another fish. 
and starting to think, I can get my own fishing pole. I can be a success. God can help me be a success. I don't have to degrade myself or humiliate myself and live a, li a beggarly type life. And it's changing the people. Did you know it's a true story? Dr. Price said local pastors from the area, African-American pastors, came to him and said to him, you cannot teach messages like this. He said, well, no. He said, I'm ministering the word to them. It's changing them. They said, oh, no, no. You can't teach messages like that. We have to play the cards right so that we get government support. He said, oh, no. He said, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not compromising the word. I'm not playing those games. You know what they told him? Not all of the pastors, of course, but the ones that did come to him. You know what they told him? They said, if you don't stop, we're going to kill you. That is a true story. But he kept on going. How many of you know he became a great success Built a beautiful uh, church, built a phenomenal uh, church structure that today still stands, and the ministry still continues on today through his son. So Dr. Price said, if you fail, it is your fault, and if you succeed, it is your choice. My friends, it takes discipline, just like the ant. It takes discipline to re uh, take responsibility. For our lives and if you're going to rule your world you're going to have to take responsibility for things that would be out of order not blame it on somebody else it's your world it's your life you're going to have to make it the way that you want it to be praise God George Washington the first president said that discipline is the soul of an army it makes small numbers formidable it procures success to the weak and esteem to all I certainly agree with that. Socrates said, let him that would move the world first move himself. Woo! Praise God. Amen. <laughs> it's only changed men that become world changers. So discipline requires, my friends, that we take our responsibility. Praise the Lord. God is good, and God's going to do some miracles in your life to move you forward. When you rise up and do the right thing, you have set spiritual principles into motion, and you are achieving that upward thrust. You are achieving that upward thrust to go to where God has called you to be. Now, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Today we're talking about ruling your world. Let me get a drink of water. Now, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. To tend it and keep it. So we have the involvement here of work. Now, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now we have instructions for food. Please notice that God first gave Adam work before he showed him what to eat. <laughs> God, my friends, is never going to keep or dress your garden. You're going to have to do it. You're, you're going to have to take that responsibility. God's not going to brush your teeth. He's not going to send angels to comb your hair. He's not going to send angels to trim your toenails or your fingernails. I don't like the way this looks. Then you're going to have to do something about it because God has delegated that responsibility to you. So it's your duty and my duty that we keep the garden. We each keep our garden. Uh, and whether that garden is your own business, your own career path, your own ministry, your own devotional life, you have to keep the garden. So here's a spiritual principle. The garden that we do not keep or dress is not permitted to offer us food. Think about that. The garden, our own garden, that we do not keep or dress or take care of or tend to is not permitted to offer us food. Hmm. I was thinking about this. Why do men and women like to play golf? Why does somebody want to go out there and hit that little tiny ball? And you may think, oh, it's easy. You just hit it. It goes that way. But you hit it, and it curves to the left, curves to the right, and you suddenly realize that this is a very technical game. It's not like you can just hit it and it goes where you want it. It goes all over the place, and it re requires very finely tuned uh, uh, muscular uh, skills, and it, it's hard to get the, that little ball into that hole. 
But why do people just uh, not only play golf, but pay, uh, even pay exorbitant prices to sign up and for memberships and stuff like that? I'll tell you why. Because the game of golf is played where? Basically in a well-kept garden. And if the garden is well-kept and the greens are luscious and the sand pits are nice and you put it next to an ocean and you create backdrop and you cultivate beauty, people will come. They'll play golf. They'll play checkers. They'll play, they'll play anything that you want that you create in an environment like that. That's why, my friends, golf. Uh, is so successful because it's played in a well-cultivated, well-taken-care-of garden. Mm-mm. Here's something to think about. How come nobody plays golf in the ghetto? Well, the game, if it's moved from Pebble Beach to the ghetto, the game has not changed, right? We're not changing the golf rules. We're not changing the golf equipment. We're not changing the shoes. We're going to take the same equipment, same clothing, everything, same rules. And we're going to go from Pebble Beach. And now we're going to go to the ghetto. How come, uh, how come nobody plays golf at the ghetto when it's the same game and we haven't changed anything? Hmm. The answer is, is because the ghetto is what? It's an unkept garden. It's a garden that's grown, that's gone, that has just completely gone wild. And it, there's no beauty. There's no structure. There's, or, no, there's no safety. And therefore, nobody wants to play golf there. Mm-mm. What determines the price of a golf course membership? That's interesting. Well, if it's a ghetto, even if you made it free, free membership, come play on our asphalt Tee off area right over here. Come on, sign up, sign up, <laughs> dodge the bullets while you swing and hit the ball. No, uh, you know, avoid the drug dealers while you uh, tee off on the first green. No, no, you can make it free. Nobody's going to come. But why are there literally golf clubs today, as of today, that the membership that if you want to play their greens and eat in the golf course restaurant, why is it the membership? is $75,000. We have golf uh, course pretty close by. If you want to play there, $75,000. Get out there and hit the ball around. Well, Pastor Stephen, surely nobody pays money like that. They're lined up. They're, they're lined up. They're, they're busy all the time, and people are finding that money somewhere, and they're out there playing. Mm-mm. Well, Pastor Stephen, that must be an exception to the rule. No, no. There's a golf course in, in California, membership, Annual membership, six, excuse me, it's not annual, it's the one-time fee to join, but th- th- then you do have annual fees associated, but just to sign up, become a member, $600,000. There's one on the East Coast that cost $1 million if you want to be a member at that golf course. Well, Pastor Stephen, surely nobody would play there. They've, now, they've capped the limit of how many people can become members, but it, it, it's all filled up, and there's a waiting list. There's a waiting list. Pastor Stephen, I don't, I don't understand that. How in the world, why in the world would people pay money like that to play a game that can even be frustrating, where people uh, hit the ball in the water? What, well, what's going on here? Well-kept garden. Well-ordered, well-kept garden. That's all it is. <laughs> they have created their own Garden of Eden, and people come. And if you make your life like the Garden of Eden, you're on the way up. You're on the way up. But I'm telling you today, it's going to take discipline to do that. We have got to stop all excuse making, all blame shifting and all of that. We have to each take our own responsibility and rise up. And as we do, we begin to rise up and to the fullness of what God has called us to do. Praise God. So for Adam, Adam, no food until you work. Here's work first given to you, and then we'll talk about food. You have to put things in the right order. Now, look at Genesis chapter 12. Mm -mm. Pastor Stephen, I'm not really into this. God has given me certain prophecies, and I don't need all this type of stuff. This is all, Pastor Stephen, you're just being, you're trying to put legalism on me, and I'm under grace. My friends, look at Abraham just for a moment. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. 
and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now remember, in Christ, you are now in Abraham. You're Abraham's seed in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. But please notice, please notice that although Abraham had a promise from God that God would bless him, Abraham did not sit back on that promise and go to sleep. Well, Lord, thank you for that word. Lord, I tell you what, I'm so excited about that word. I'm going to take a two-week vacation with my wife and I. We've always wanted to travel the Mediterranean. Hmm. <laughs> no, he went to work. What did he do? Did he pray all day? No, he went to work. Look at verse 13. Or actually, uh, verse 2. Abraham was very rich in livestock. He started a cattle raising business. He became a cattle baron, and it made him wealthy. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. You can have promises. You can have prophecies. My friends, but you're going to have to go to work, and that requires discipline. You must be a disciplined person with your life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, for example, when we examine the meteoric rise to prosperity, of the nation of South Korea, we see that only in 1948, which wasn't very long ago, that South Korea was listed among the poorest nations of the world. But today, oh, what a difference today. I love going to Seoul, Korea. Beautiful skyscrapers, beautiful streets, uh, beautiful parks and flowers, and uh, it's just an incredible uh, country and it's amazing what has taken place. Well, my friends, what took place, uh, despite the extreme poverty in the late forties, early fifties, is that right around the early sixties, there was a peaceful revolution. They got a good president in that had some wisdom, good common sense. And he began for the first time to let South Korea begin to trade internationally. And that immediately began to produce prosperity. At the same time, the church growth movement of strong evangelism began to take place. And God began to move through Dr. Cho. His church turned into a mega church. But you have to understand, when you go to uh, South Korea or in Seoul, uh, the, the Yoido Full Gospel Church, that's just one mega church. There's mega churches all over the place, all over the country. So you had good biblical teaching. You had... You had all this combined, and it created a spark of prosperity that took South Korea into the position of becoming the 13th industrialized nation of the world. And when I say an industrialized nation, I'm talking about a nation that moves off uh, a system where their whole economy centers around agriculture. We're just trying to grow fruit so you can eat and stay alive and you're living day by day, season by season. No, we're now talking machinery and advances in science and technology. And so you have Dr. Cho preaching and many other ministers now preaching that God is a good God. God wants you to succeed. And now people are studying the Bible. Christians are, uh, are, are spreading the gospel. And the nation is now uh, exchanging goods and services with other countries as well as within their own borders. And it was an explosion. An explosion of prosperity. Mm -mm. And they are still reaping the benefits of that today. But it took great discipline. And even today you see, particularly amongst the older uh, South Koreans, that discipline that it took to just work and make their sacrifices. Yes, believe God, use your faith, but also get out there and just put your hands fully to the work and engage. Praise the Lord. As Christians, we are ambassadors, representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cannot afford to be going around the world begging, wanting the world to have pity upon the church, looking for another grilled cheese handout. No, you need to be able to buy your own grilled cheese and buy one for somebody else. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, there's a time for everything. There's a time to pray. There's a time to read your Bible. But my friends, there's a time to be disciplined and get up and work. Woo! Praise the Lord. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Our desires 
that we have within our hearts can be communicated to God through prayer. But prayer alone is not enough. We have to pray. We have to meditate the word, be in the word, but we're also going to have to do what the word says. And a big part of that is discipline ourselves to do the work, the required work that is necessary to go in the direction that God is showing us to go. And don't ever forget, my friends, there's, there's dignity in labor. Praise the Lord. Idleness is a ruthless enemy of your destiny. Again, idleness is a ruthless enemy of your destiny. For example, right now, if you're someone that's seeking a job and you have not yet found the job that you want, don't let months and months and months go by because you can't find the perfect job. No, grab something. And as you grab something and put your hands fully to that, the job that you truly desire in the process will come to you. That is a spiritual principle that I have seen work over and over and over for believers that actually exercise it. But if you just sit back and you wait and wait, well, that's not the one I want. I'm really waiting for what I, I, I really want. You know, uh, what's going to show up are the bills. But if you're doing something that's going to be uh, uh, bringing in productivity, that's going to bring in uh, money, praise the Lord. And in that process, the job that you really want is somehow going to show up or come to you or it's going to open up. Woo! Is that ever a truth? Praise God. So don't sit around being lethargic. Be like the ant. Rule your world. Mm, not from the couch watching TV. Rule your world. Go to work and put it in order like the Garden of Eden. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Now, I think this would answer the question that maybe some of you have wondered. Why do some Christians who are givers uh, why is it they have not experienced some type of breakthrough, positive change in their finances? And sometimes for some of them, it's because if we were to examine their lives, we notice that they are not making the proper application of diligent, disciplined work. And we have to face the reality. God does not reach his arm over the balcony of heaven and say, Oh, I see my son there. I see my daughter over here. Gabriel, the angel, give me a whole stack of hundred dollar bills. I'm going to throw a wad of $10,000 on that one right now. Here, take it. My friends, God doesn't throw money down from heaven. Praise the Lord. He can only prosper the works of of our hands. Therefore, if we're not doing anything with our hands, with our minds, if we're not doing anything, then we have eliminated the primary channel of blessing through which God can flow in order to get blessing, prosperity, and increase into our lives. I want to encourage you to never view disciplined work as being something that God is doing to punish you. Rather, I want you to view disciplined work and a disciplined life as something that God gives to polish you. God's not trying to punish you. God's trying to polish you. Pastor Steve, I don't, I don't like this job. They're demanding too much out of me. Oh, that's good. That's going to awaken all of that creativity that's been lying dormant so long because all you've been trying to do is as little as possible to just get by while still wanting the full reward. Woo! My friends, sometimes you need somebody over you that'll give you that push, that will give you that challenge, and that will pull the giftings and talents that God has pulled, uh, excuse me, has put inside of you. And I remember, I remember years back when I worked in a certain retail store, the supervisor over me would make the most unrealistic work demands that even if I worked maybe 20 hours in one day, I don't think it could, get, uh, it could get done, but that didn't matter to him. He still demanded it to get done. And if it doesn't get done, you're getting written up. <laughs> and uh, he was crazy. He was, he was fanatical and he was a blessing in disguise to me. God wasn't trying to punish me. God was trying to polish me. What happens when you polish something? It begins to shine. And that, that crazy supervisor pulled out a level of work out of me that I didn't even know was in me. And once I hit that higher level, I never went back. And I remember one day a new guy came to work and he was older than me. And sometimes you, you, you want to equate, uh, uh, 
age or being older with wisdom, but that doesn't always connect. You see what I'm saying? So he says to me one day while we're working his first day on the job, he said, Hey, Hey man, we need to slow down because if we work like this all the time, they're going to expect this level of output from us all the time. I said, yeah, but I said, I'm not, I'm not working for them. I'm working for the Lord. And I said, this is the way I want to work. I want to work all out. I'm not just working to earn something. I'm working to learn something. I'm not here just to, to get a paycheck and earn something. I'm working so that I, I can learn. I'm a constant learner. Why? Because I'm not staying here forever. I'm moving up to the next level. And that's been years ago. It wouldn't surprise me if he's still there, still there, working what he calls the rat race, working what he calls the grind. But it was never a grind for me. It was a joy because I knew God was polishing me, even with a ruthless supervisor one time. What did that produce in me? It produced ants in my pants. Woo, praise the Lord. That guy pulled me up to a place where I didn't need a supervisor. I didn't need somebody watching over me. Now you do this, and when you get done with that, you come over here and do this. It produced such a, um, a flow of productivity that if I finished something, I didn't need somebody to tell me what to do. I can see what needs to be done. I'm on it. Mm -mm. And Jesus said, if you cannot be faithful with what is another man's, who will give you your own I want my own business. Yeah, you're going to run it just like the way you're working right now. Coming in late, taking long extended lunches, having somebody else clock you out so that you can get a few extra moments. That's called theft. Mm -mm. And you, you can't think, well, if I had my own, I'll just switch. No, you won't switch. You won't switch just because you go to a new building or put on a different pair of shoes or now maybe you have your own business and got your name on the, on the building or something like that. You're still the same person. You have to make those adjustments. And when you change, everything else begins to change. And that begins with the responsibility of discipline and taking full responsibility for our lives. No more excuses. No more blame shifting. And when you do that, what's going on? You are walking in biblical principles and you start going up. It is, it is the rocket propulsion that takes you up into the areas of success. Praise the Lord. My friends, it's time for you to shine through a disciplined life. Mm -mm. It's time for you to create your own garden of Eden. Praise the Lord. Well, I, I can't pay anybody, Pastor Stephen, to uh, mow my grass. Mow it yourself. Go out there with a weed eater, uh, sweat, work, praise God, and make it pretty. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, that, that's not right, though, because you, your, your church building, it, every time I drive by it, it looks beautiful. Oh, yeah, like we just woke up and it just turned into that. Like angels show up at night and weed eat the grass and angels, angels get the spider webs off the, off the building. Mm. It, just, it just all happens mysteriously, supernaturally. No. No, we have a team that's on it. And if something's not right, we address it so that it's pretty. Postcard, pretty. Golf course, pretty. Mm -mm. I had a person show me a ministry building one time. Not mine. It was another ministry. And he said, look at this building. Pastor Stephen, the, the president, the president had that building built. The first thing I thought when I saw the building I thought, well, the president needs to get somebody out there with a giant Swiffer because the thing's covered in cobwebs, cobwebs all over. Cobwebs. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's what spiders do. Yeah. When they're left to run wild, they're going to build webs all over your building. Why don't you get rid of the spiders? Knock all the webs down. Remember, if you get rid of the spider, you get rid of the web. Spray it with a healthy, uh, you know, insecticide and make it pretty. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the building I built. Well, you should take care of it. Look, looks, looks creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a holy building. Yeah, it's a holy, creepy-looking building. Praise God. Woo! Hallelujah. But see, you can't, you can't rule somebody else's world. That's, that's the world they created. That's, that's their world. And if they want it to look like that, that's their world. But don't expect somebody to pay a million-dollar membership to come into their world. No. But in your own world, you can apply these principles like Adam. Work. Work. No, I, I want to eat. No, we'll eat later. Work. Work, work. The next thing you know, you've got what? You've got a garden. And the animals are like, yeah, 
He's the man. Mm-mm. Everybody is happy. Birds are happy. Tigers are happy. Everybody's happy. Why? Man, you're living in the Garden of Eden. This place is beautiful. Praise God. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for your people that any element of lethargy, any element of emulating the sloth, <laughs> as sweet as he is, <laughs> be shifted into the anointing of the ant. I thank you, Father, let them be sweet with that sloth sweetness, with, uh, with elements of compassion and love, but with elements of moving forward in life, let them have that ant mentality without having any captain, overseer, or ruler. It just knows what to do. It makes it happen. Father, and I also ask for grace because oftentimes many who have this anointing are misunderstood. They're misunderstood as being pushy or being, being uh, like a drill sergeant. But Father, if somebody doesn't do it, the plane's going to be missed. The deadline will never be met. And stuff doesn't get done. So Father, let your people have that anointing to get it done. And they will never, ever be without employment, without a good job, or without even having for some their own business. Father, we give you all of the praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know there's wealthy people that hire disciplined, organized individuals to come into their life and do what? Make their life structured, to come into their life and take control. I have a friend of mine, and uh, he's, he's good at administration. He runs his, his business very, very smooth. He has a couple of small businesses, runs them all good, oversees them. And look, there's always something to do, so there's always work that needs to be ongoing. And uh, he, he said, Stephen, he said, I met this man at the airport the other day and uh, got to talking to him. And he's a multi-billionaire and he's got properties all over the planet, all over the planet. And he said, I got to talking with him and he, the, the man stopped in mid conversation and said, if you will come to work for me right now, I'll pay you a million dollars a year. Please come work for me and just oversee my properties. He said, I've got so much going on. I've got to have somebody responsible and capable like you. And I can discern that just by talking to you for the last 20 minutes, come to work for me right now. I'll pay you a million dollars a year. Just fly around the world and, and take care of my properties. Mm-mm. I said, what'd you tell him? He said, I, I told him no, cause I've already got my own thing that I'm, I'm running my world. And, uh, of course, you know, the billionaire didn't like that. Those people are used to everybody saying yes to them. <laughs> but once you have your own Garden of Eden and it's, it's really good, then sometimes uh, God will keep you there. But you always just want to be where the Lord wants you to be. Uh, one time, Billy Graham's right-hand assistant, uh, this man was asked once, hey, you know, you're running in many ways so much of the, you know, the Billy Graham ministry and uh, you're doing things for uh, Dr. Graham. Of course, Dr. Graham's at the top, but uh, he was asked, why don't you go start your own ministry? Because you could, you could do really well. He said, I would rather be God's number two man in the will of God being number two than go off and do my own thing and be out of the will of God and be so-called number one. So and that's the position for some of you. You're called to be that supporting cast. You're called to be the number two or the number three, but you're right where God wants you to be. And you are a great impetus in the overall success of that business, that corporation. And my friends, you will enjoy the fruit of that corporation as it rises. Praise God or, or that business as it moves forward or in some situations that ministry. Praise God. Hallelujah. Please lift your hands again. Father, bless your people. Let grace be upon their lives. Let the, the anointing of the ant, the discipline be upon their lives. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. It's their time to shine in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can see why everybody wants to be a star, but very few are willing to pay that price or walk in that discipline to rise to those high levels. I see you going there. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you may be a very disciplined person. You may work 20 hours a day. But, you know, when it's all said and done, life is still going to end. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't want to be lost in your sins. 
separated from God and receiving the full punishment of sin, which is eternal judgment. And that includes going to hell. And then that also includes being after your final judgment moved into the lake of fire. And you go to go, you, look, you don't want to go to hell or the lake of fire. That's where all the lazy people are at. That's where all the uh, excuse makers are at. That's where all the liars and all, all that. That's where they're going. So you want to go to heaven. And so if you would like to receive eternal life right now, you must be willing to give Jesus your entire life and obey him and live for him. But I know that's what you want. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. Jesus, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me now. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Woo! That not only was the greatest decision you ever made in your life, that was also the greatest element of discipline that you could ever do, that you could ever exercise. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you're watching and you're a backslidden Christian, not serving God, you've gone away from God and you're, you're just in a mess and you need to come back to Jesus. You're on dangerous ground. You're in the devil's territory. You're in his kingdom of darkness. Don't delay another moment. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you today. I come back to you. Please forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me, wash me clean and restore me in your name. I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. We have people come into the kingdom right now. God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. You're putting your faith in Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now let's take Holy communion together. Hallelujah. Grab some unleavened bread and grape juice. I use, I use these little package cups that have it all together, but whatever you have available will suffice. And let's pray. Father, we pray over the bread, the juice. We bless it. We consecrate it through this prayer. And we thank you. This is the flesh and the blood of Jesus. When we look at it, we still see the form of bread and juice, but it's the body and the blood concealed, hidden spiritually through these two elements. So father, we thank you that as we receive the flesh of Jesus, his body, we receive his word, his promises. Today we receive his principles, the principle of a disciplined life. We don't have to have somebody constantly badgering us, trying to get us to do something. We know what to do. We're like the ants. We thank you, father. Let that anointing flow. We receive the body of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's receive. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we have committed any sins, that you would wash them away, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Father. Mm -hmm. We thank you for protection from COVID and all the variants and all the other junk that's out there, sickness and disease, uh, fear and phobias. We thank you for protection. We have, oh God, covenant with you through the blood of Christ. And we have your Holy Spirit immunity, your, uh, your capsule of protection. Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive the blood of your son in his name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. If somebody's watching it today, your, is your birthday. May this be a breakthrough birthday today for you. I'm smelling birthday cake. That's why. And I know that's also representing there. There are those that are being born again today. This is your spiritual birthday. The day you gave your life to Christ. Praise God. But also perhaps if this is your natural birthday, be blessed in Jesus name. Mm -mm. Father, we thank you. We give you all of the praise. Let us just lift our hands and thank the Lord. Lord, we give you praise and glory. Lord, we give you praise and glory. We thank you, Father God. 
We thank you for the lifting power of your word. We give you praise and glory. Thank you, Father God. This is the age where we have gone into the end times and there is gross darkness in the earth. But, oh God, this is the time where your glory is shining upon your people. And this is our time to rise for your glory and that your word will begin to cover the earth, that your knowledge begin to go throughout the earth through all the forms of technology and ministering your word to your people. We thank you, Father God, that it's the church's finest hour. It's our finest hour. We thank you, Father God, that we cannot be locked down, shut up or shut out because we are overcoming all. Oh God, thank you. Through the word of our testimony, we give you praise, Father, through the blood of the Lamb. And we love not our lives unto the death. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. I proclaim freedom and liberty and divine creativity over your lives to do all that God has called you to do and to create your own Garden of Eden of your world as an inspiration to many others who will see it and be blessed. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time.